G'day everyone. I was driving past Avoca RSL last week and noticed on their big sign out the front, Easter, advertising their Easter events and so on. I went, oh man, that's not right. We haven't mentioned anything about Easter and we own Easter. <laughs> Easter belongs to Christians, to the church. And so uh, here it is. Slide's a little bit monkey, but I wanted to say in four weeks' time, here it comes, uh, our Easter services, which we have themed this is love. And so won't that be a great time for us to reflect on that love in the gospel and to hold out that message to those around us. Uh, so there you go, the, the Evocarari sprung us into action, four weeks to go, Easter's coming. Uh, this passage this morning actually also uh, comes in at the heart of the Christian message of love. And like we will do at Easter, shows that it's, it is not the love that our community would assume. It's not wishy-washy sentimental. It's not superficial, but it has substance. It's actually very earthy. It's sacrificial. It's servant-hearted. It's even shocking, which this passage will show us. So how about I pray and then we'll dive right in. Uh, Father God, we do thank you so much that you are the God who is love. And so as you have made yourself known, you have loved us. And supremely in your Son, and as we come to, to view him, to, to see him and hear him on the pages that John has recorded, please, might that be an experience unlike any other as we encounter the living God, one where you will give us honesty in ourselves before you, uh, humility, uh, gladness and joy in all that you have done in Jesus. And so please, might it change us? Might we walk out of here different? We pray it in his name. Amen. Okay, uh, simple plan today to take us through this account under three headings. Number one, Jesus the servant. The, the deal with this story for many of us is it is so familiar. It's one of those ones we've heard from a kid, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And the problem with familiarity is that it... It can mean we're not actually in awe, shocked, surprised at this account like we would have been if we were there in this upper room. Or maybe if we were reading this account as an adult for the first time. This is shocking and scandalous stuff. Uh, the context is there, verse 1. Have a look in your Bibles. If you don't have one, please grab that welcome pack and get a Bible for yourself so you can see these words together. The context is it was just before the Jewish Passover festival, so we're in Jerusalem. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He's previously said that means his death, which will happen some uh, 24, 48 hours later. And the evening meal was in progress. Jesus then washes the disciples' feet. Now, though we're not very familiar with much of the first century customs... Uh, Jewish and Greco-Roman. We can appreciate pretty easily, can't we, why you would wash your feet before a meal in the first century. You know, they're, they're getting around in, uh, in thongs, sandals, on uh, dusty, muddy, pooey roads as they share with the animals. They're filthy. And so as you come to the meal time, it was the custom to have their feet washed. Um, you, you know this, if you've had a kid actually go to fat camp, you know, fat feet... <laughs> that come home after a week away. Was it last year or two years ago with all that mud? You remember that? And, and just the shoes that were a mess and the feet that were just filthy. 
Uh, don't tell my teenager that I'm saying this right now. Uh, but, you know, when, when they came home, you're like, hey, let's have a meal, tell me all about it. You're like, man, straight into the shower, wash all that filth off, then let's have a meal. Similar kind of deal in the first century. But it was such a disgusting job that it was reserved for the servant or the slave. No respectable person would do that. And for whatever reason, as Jesus and his disciples come into this room, there is no servant there. Do you think the disciples took the initiative? Hey, there's no servant, let's take care of this. No way. In fact, one of the features of this passage is Jesus' inner mind. We're told numbers of times what Jesus knew to be the case. Verse 3, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knows that he is the most powerful man in the world, that nothing lay outside of his power. So what does it look like to be the most powerful person in the world? To have power over every man, woman and child over every atom, every chemical reaction, over every spiritual force, both good and evil. What does that most powerful person do? It's not going to look like Trump. It's not going to look like Biden. It's not going to look like Elon Musk. Here it is, verse 4. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. We are supposed to be shocked, particularly in light of just who this Jesus is. Do you remember at the beginning of John's account, he introduces Jesus and his origins as going all the way back into eternity? He describes Jesus as the word that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He, Jesus, was there in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. And here, chapter 13 The eyewitness John, through his eyewitness account, gives us a window into this upper room in Jerusalem of the creator of the universe serving his creatures. Taking off his clothes to take on the form of a servant and wipe the filth from between the toes of his disciples. You know, there are actually lots of records of foot washing in ancient history. Because again, we're talking about history here. You can chase this up. Both before the time of Jesus and around and after the time of Jesus, we have lots of foot washings recorded for us. Not a single one of them has the superior washing the feet of those who are their subordinate. Not a single one. Except John chapter 13 as Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And more, when you actually understand the context, Luke, one of the four accounts of Jesus, tells us that in this meal, at about this point, the disciples are actually squabbling among themselves. 
They're fighting with each other about who is the greatest among the two. No, it's me. No, 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 it's me. No, no. And Jesus takes the initiative when they won't to humble himself. In fact, more than humble himself, humiliate himself. There is a difference between humility and humiliation. This is an account of Jesus humiliating himself. Why? Because that's what the most truly powerful person in the world does. Because that's what God does. That's who Jesus is. See, this is so scandalous to us only because something horribly wrong has happened with the human condition. Where we are so proud that we actually think power and privilege and influence is to be used to serve my interests at the expense of others. And so I can't even conceive that power, true power, would be used to serve others. But it is the nature of God to serve, to give, to be generous, to love. See that verse 1? Having loved his own who are in the world, Jesus loved them to the very end. Jesus' love for his people is not sentimental, it's not hard to pin down. It is demonstrated in humiliating service for them. Not just once, in a good moment. You know, he's having a good day, he's had lots of sleep and so... To the very end, Jesus faithfully demonstrates the humiliating nature of his love. Friends, don't let the familiarity with this story stop you from pausing to reflect on the character of your God. He is a servant. God Almighty, glorious. It's in his nature to give, to be generous at cost to himself. And he loves his people in that kind of way to the end. There's great comfort as we just reflect on the window that this gives into who our God is. There's number one, Jesus the servant. Here's the second heading. Jesus must serve us. Now that sounds a little presumptuous, doesn't it? Doesn't that put me at the centre of things? Well, make sure you have a look at this. This is where things start to get offensive. We see that in the offence Peter takes, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Now, this might seem fair enough and even innocent on Peter's behalf, right? Maybe even that he's wanting to honour his Lord. It's not the master who serves the servant, it's the other way around. But actually, Peter is giving full voice to his proud heart as he does so well. See, Peter knew the social norms. And the master washing the disciples' feet was so outrageous that for Peter to be involved in that would actually be humiliating for Peter to be involved in something that you just don't do. It's not our way. It's not our social norms. You know those things that particular cultures of people do and don't do? To, you know? 
It'd be a little bit like me um, after the service wanting to go say hi to Jono and I catch him and, and I go and give him a big hug and that might be all right, but then I give him a mwah, 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 three pecks on the cheek to say hello. Is that all right? You've been sick this week. I'm not kissing you. <laughs> I'm not your first choice. Fair call. Um, it'd be a bit weird, right? It, now, it wouldn't be weird if, if I was Greg Masters, the Greek, going up to another Greek. Because that's their social norm, right? That's how you do it. For us, we're Aussies. We greet each other with a holy handshake. Um, and, and when you step out of them, it becomes weird. In fact, embarrassing to be part of them. That's what's going on for Peter here. No, I'm not, I'm not going to be part of that. That's embarrassing. Well, verse 8, Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. <laughs> Jesus really ups the stakes on this foot washing. And so Peter responds in typical fashion, verse 9, Then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Referring, of course, to Judas, who has been prompted by the devil, which we just don't have time to go into this morning. <laughs> you, you got it. We love Peter, don't we? If you've been reading the Bible for a while, we love Peter. Why? Because he is such a muppet. <laughs> he... He's just got his foot in his mouth the whole time and that makes us feel better about ourselves and our two left feet as we follow Jesus. The irony is great. Peter has just called Jesus Lord and then gone on to tell him exactly what he should and shouldn't do. But I reckon some of us might go, yeah, I kind of feel a little sympathetic to Peter. I'm confused with Peter. Like, What's going on here? You know, because Peter says to Jesus, you're going to wash my feet? No way. Jesus says, yes way, or you've got no part of me. Oh, every part of me then, Jesus, every bit of skin you can find, wash me, wash me. No, Peter, that's not necessary. Oh, so I'm already clean. Yes, Peter, you're already clean. Oh, so we're all clean. No, Peter, you're not all clean. (laughs) He's just going, what is happening here? One of the reasons that it is confusing that Peter is baffled is because something is going on under the surface. There is a deeper thing going on here than just the act of washing. It's not just an act of kindness from Jesus, though it is. And it's not just an example to follow, though it will be. This is a physical act that is pointing to a deeper spiritual truth, a greater cleansing than dirt washed from feet. Verse 7 tells you that what we're dealing with here is symbolic. Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Now, if all Jesus meant here was to give the disciples an example to follow, that's an odd thing to say. He would say, well, you'll understand in a moment. It's an example to follow. But instead he says, it'll be later when you understand that. Now, when is that later? Well... This event, plus pretty much all of them, we find the disciples getting to the other side of Jesus' death, 
resurrection, ascension, the sending of the Spirit, and they go, ah, that's what it meant. That's the later on the other side of Jesus' death, which he will die in some short hours. In the washing of the feet, Jesus here is anticipating his death on a cross. His death that will achieve complete cleansing for his people, spiritual cleansing. The washing away of our guilt before God. You know you have it. If we were to honestly reflect on ourselves, who we are truly, and how that's going to go with the righteous judge of the universe. But in love, God has sent his son, sinless as we are not, so that he could die in our place and take the judgment of God upon himself to be destroyed by it. That if we would look to him, his blood would cover over all of our unrighteousness, cleansed from top to toe for eternity. It is as a humble servant through the humiliating act of the cross that Jesus will love his people. That Jesus will make a way for guilty people's consciences to be cleansed. Do you know that? That though we fall short and continue to, that our conscience can be clean, our standing can be right as we look to a saviour. The big point of this foot washing is the humiliating death in love that Jesus is about to die. But notice the offence that it creates. Not only is Jesus a servant, but he says, you must be served by me if you're going to be clean. In the symbol of the foot washing for Peter, but anyone who wants to know God and eternal life, who wants to go to heaven, you must be cleansed by me. This is so offensive to proud people, particularly middle class good people. We're doing our best, we're having a go. Not perfect, but I'm good at heart. I'm trying my best as a mum, as a dad, as a brother, as a worker, as a. Surely God will accept me. And Jesus says all of that counts for nothing when it comes to your standing before a holy God. If you want to know God, if you want the hope of eternal life, Jesus says, I must serve you. See, it takes humility to serve, yes, but it also takes humility to be served. Have you worked that one out yet? This came home to me almost 10 years ago when I, I got very sick with swine flu. Didn't know what it was at first, just thought it was a cold, and then I just thought it was a flu, and then man flu, and just kept to you know, try pushing on, and but I, was, I was flattened, I was wiped out. And no amount of just tough it up, just have a cup of concrete, push through it, just, it wouldn't work. I couldn't get up off the couch. Um, we just had kid number four, four in five years. Um, so home life is chaos. Bruce got the kids on her own. I couldn't do anything. I was useless. And, and the, the lawn is my gig, right? I, I take responsibility for mowing the grass. And so I couldn't. And so the grass grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And, grows and, grows. and uh, 
And at the time, um, I, in fact, I see you there, it was Jack and Diane were our next door neighbours, just over the fence there. And beautifully noticed the grass growing and offered to come and mow the lawn, knew that I was sick. What did I say? Nah, I'm all right. <laughs> all right, I got this. And I, I don't know if you know this, I then went inside and, uh, and got changed. I'm going go, to show them I can do this. And I couldn't make it out the door. Fell flat on the couch. Well, anyway, the grass keeps growing and they keep watching. The kids are getting lost in it, right? It's, it's this high. And so just beautifully, Jack and Diane came over and mowed our lawn. And I remember lying on the couch, looking out the window, and there's Diane mowing my lawn. Do you think I was laying there with gratitude and thanksgiving? I was humiliated. I hated it because I had that special man version of pride. <laughs> nah, that's my job. I should be able to do that. It takes humility to be served. Why? Because it means you've got to put your hand up and say, I'm not okay. I need help. I can't do it. Which I know goes against every positive thinking rule to admit defeat, self-talk. But the reality of life is there are a whole bunch of things that we can't do. And when it comes to our standing before God, to be accepted before him, I can't do it. I've got no hope. But in love, here we have the God of the universe on his knees, humiliating himself, pointing to the death that he would die for me, for you. If you would humble yourself, recognise your need. Only Jesus can deal with our greatest filth in his death. Nothing else and no one else and no other external right. This is not the point of the passage, but people have taken it because here Jesus is washing people with water. Well, surely if I'm baptised, then I'm going to heaven, right? There are millions of people across the globe who believe that. There'll be some here today. I was baptised as a little one. Or I was baptised as an adult. I'm going to heaven. There's my confidence. I've witnessed the funeral of a man who, I don't know the heart, but as far as I could tell, showed no interest in God. Not a shred. And yet, he was this priest, quoting, I think, even the, the date that this kid was baptised, or man was baptised as a kid. And because he was baptised, we have confidence that he is now with God in heaven. Well, notice this. Judas is among those who had his feet washed. Oh, but if you can just get the right holy guy to splash the water, then that'll do something because of who he is. This is Jesus washing Judas' feet, which couldn't make him spiritually clean. Can you top Jesus to have anyone sprinkle water on you and wash you? The water of baptism does not cleanse you. And if you are relying on that, in terms of going to heaven, you will have the shock of your eternity. No external thing that we do can change the human heart. The water of baptism 
The foot washing here, it is a symbol and not the substance. It points to something rather than provides the something. So what is it pointing to? Well, in a couple of chapters time, chapter 15, verse 3, we'll see Jesus say to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. The word of the gospel. The word of who Jesus is and what he has come to do and by trusting in it and it alone is what cleanses us. And so let me pause right here and ask, have you done that? Where is your confidence before God? Is it because you've been a good enough person? Wrong for eternity. Is it because you were baptised when you were a kid? Good people, baptised people, don't go to heaven. Forgiven people, people who follow the sign to the cross and rely on a saviour, they have confidence now and into eternity. So just very quickly, for the sake of time, verse 10, what does that mean? Did you have some good discussion in your groups? that Because it does get a bit confusing. Jesus says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. It's this picture of you've had a bath, so everything's clean. Now there's just the need for a little clean of the feet. Um, what does that mean? Well, let me give you two interpretations that people come. Um, the first one is that it represents once for all forgiveness and then ongoing repentance. That is, the bath represents the cross of Jesus who covers all of my sin, past, present and future. I can stand confident before God. There's the bath washed as I trust in him. But as I continue to fall short, Jesus expects his disciples to do this daily as he teaches them, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, forgive us our sins. Uh, That there is a need to, to seek God's forgiveness, not in a once for all kind of, not for the first time, but, oh, God, I've blown it again. I need a saviour. Thank you for Jesus. And I trust that his blood covers me. Forgive me. Change me. It's, it's one position that understands this image. Jesus here is then extending, I guess, the metaphor. Now, the New Testament does make it clear that that's the case, that once we're all forgiven, though there is ongoing need to repent, to seek God's forgiveness. I'm just not sure that that's what Jesus is expecting us to take from this verse. Maybe, if you want to hold that, that's true, if not here elsewhere. What I think, what I'm more persuaded by, is that this is rhetoric. That this is um, Jesus coming to symbolise what he'll do on the cross, and Peter says, no, 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 and then yes, 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 and Jesus is like, no, no, Peter, it's not the washing that you want done in the way that you want done. It's, it's the washing that I will do. Anyone who will identify with me, who will be served by me, will be cleansed, symbolised by the feet. What is clear is that we must be served by Jesus if we are to have any part in him. And that is eternal life at stake. Here's the third and final heading that we must serve like Jesus. It's a very obvious command that I'll point out and then draw some implications as we finish. As the foot washing points to Jesus' humiliating death on a cross, 
it does serve as an example for those who have been served by the cross. This is critical. I was talking to someone after 8.30. Worry about Jesus, his death, what that means, before you then worry about the example to follow. But for those who have come to Jesus, verse 14, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. The point is, if the Lord of the universe has lowered himself from heaven to a cross, how much more ought we, sinners saved by the cross, humble ourselves before each other? If Almighty God has served us in this way, then of course, not as a box-ticking thing to get to heaven, but as a motive, having been served like this, we are going to serve in the way of Jesus. Verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Mere knowledge is not enough. Jesus says the blessing comes as you put this into practice, as your life now changes. Not meaning that we can go and die a death on behalf of other sinners to forgive them, not that. But that in the same way that Jesus serves, sacrificially, it's costly, it humiliates for the sake of others. In that same way, go and serve one another. Now there's a whole bunch of ways that this applies. Let me just give you two categories, a couple of examples of both. The the big thing that the New Testament that Jesus is calling his people to is a life of sacrificial service. Just a whole life where where the tone and the colour is increasingly like his. Servant-hearted, sacrificial service. That doesn't need to be told, here are the rules to go and follow, but it's a heart thing. And so there are informal ways that we will apply this with one another. One of them being bearing with one another. We are a church family who have come together, not because we have the same hobbies and interests, like sporting groups do, like art groups do. We, we are a bunch of people who probably wouldn't be hanging out with each other except for our common Lord and Saviour Jesus. Which means as we do come together, we're going to bump up against each other. It's not going to be easy. How do you serve one another? How do you follow this example? We bear with one another. We are patient and kind and forgive one another. If the Lord God has gone to such lengths to forgive me, how could I not forgive you? Jesus' humble service becomes our pattern in all kinds of ways in life. Uh, In my kitchen at home, we have one of the walls painted with chalkboard paint, which is the engine of our... It runs our room. Forget Google calendars and spreadsheets. It's got got the whole two-week schedule written up in chalk. Uh, And then above that, with all the kids, it's got each day of the week and all the jobs that they're to be doing, morning and afternoon and so on. This is like the engine room on the chalkboard. Um, up high so they can't reach it and change it. (laughs) But they can come out and they can see what are their formal jobs today, which we're not just wanting boxes ticked. This is them giving expression to belonging to this family. 
Family serves one another. It's what it means to belong to each other. And here is a grid, a formal way of them doing that. Here's why it's important. Do you think they're just going to roll out of bed and do it on their own? Do you think we just roll out of bed? And what? There are helpful things about putting in formal ways to serve, disciplines to serve, that they might then encourage and foster a heart of sacrificial service, which we're trusting will be the case for our kids. Friends, we are a church family and we are called to serve one another in the informal sense, but also in a formal way. I mean, as soon as you have a family just of my home, six people in it, it needs some organisation for us to function, otherwise chaos reigns. And so, as a growing family, as the Lord brings more, we need to organise ourselves in order to demonstrate that heart of sacrificial service, what we call formal ministry roles. Can I speak to three categories of people in terms of our formal ministry roles? The first are those of you, and many of you, who are serving hard the cause of the gospel among your church family. Uh, You're on a team that serves regularly or a roster. Uh, You're doing some kind of formal role that no one else knows about. You are part of serving the church family and extending the gospel. If that is you, let this passage be a great encouragement. It's what the Lord calls us to do and there's blessing in it. Is it costly? Is it hard? Does it go against what you might naturally want to do? Are you feeling the pain of it? You must be doing it right. And there is great blessing in it, says Jesus. Verse 17. Keep going. I mean, our youth ministry, how good was that to hear that interview? Where else on the planet do you see a bunch of 20 to 25-year-olds, young adults, coming on a Friday night every week to love and serve a bunch of high schoolers. To do it on a Friday night, not for pay, they're volunteering. In fact, they're giving up shifts to do it at work. And then they come back Sunday morning to spend time in the Word. And then they take annual leave to go away on fat camp. Where else do you see that on planet Earth? Well in the family of God, in the family that belongs to the Lord Jesus, who has served us in such a way. Keep going. You are blessed. Second category of formal service is um, some of you just can't for a whole bunch of reasons and there are good legitimate reasons. You wish that you could and just are not able. There are good reasons and there are seasons when you can only be served and enjoy the blessing of belonging to God's people, of having to just lay flat on the couch. And I am so thankful in hindsight for the law mowing. Just receive, be loved on. But then there is another category of us who could be serving the church family but aren't. And I don't just mean you're new with us, Take your time, settle in, get to know us, jump into a growth group. But for those of us who have been around some time and receive every week and through the week and with our kids and teenagers so much blessing and yet we don't do anything or much, 
Hear the call of your Lord to give of yourself sacrificially. It will cost. But then know the paradox. There's the blessing. And I need to keep reminding myself as I call people to serve in formal ways that I'm actually asking people to do something that is for their good. This is not just an imposition, though it is. It, it is good. The good life is to do as Jesus has done. In fact, I just want to point out another card. There's a whole bunch of cards today on our seats. But could you, could you all grab this one? There's one nearby, or one family. It's a Serve This Easter card. I know there's a few things that have popped up on seats today, so many good ways to be serving our church family. But on the back here, there's some instructions. Uh, Easter is grand final week. It's massive, it's huge. And so in addition to the regular teams who serve hard, uh, we do need extra people to jump in to make the whole thing happen, to serve this family and those who will come and visit us. Can I encourage you to take that home, talk to your family if that's relevant, to work out where you could be available and then someone will get in touch to talk about that further. But friends, the big thing for us here is to capture who our God is. Before we do anything, to capture who God is in what he has done. Sacrificial, humiliating service. Know that service in the cross. Know that your guilt can be removed. Whatever you've done, look to a saviour today. And having done that, what a motivation we have to serve more and more like him amongst each other. I want to give us a moment to pause and reflect on what you have heard, how you might pray, what you might do with this. The band will then come up and we'll finish with a song. Father, forgive us, please, for um, the ways that we continue to turn in just by instinct, um, to, to consider ourselves. You have sent your son to die to release us from living for self. And so please forgive us as we do turn back. Uh, and we're so grateful for a saviour whose blood covers all our sin, past, present and future. But with care and humility, we, we reflect on uh, our need for you to keep working in our hearts, to keep pointing us to a saviour and the way of life that Jesus gave us. And so we ask that you would do that by the power of your spirit, that increasingly we might reflect the church family that you long for us to be, that in turn people might be blessed, both as we serve but also by our service, that you would cause many people to come and know the blessing of Jesus. We ask that in the coming weeks for Easter, uh, for life that's happening, for all the different ministries. Please keep growing your family, Father God. Uh, and we just rejoice afresh at the lengths that you went to to serve us, to make us your own, where you will love us to the end. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.